And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose. Welcome to episode number 85, PNR, This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, June 29th. Well, folks, it was a huge win last week, just stunning wins for people that have been really struggling for a while. One, of course, was a celebration of equality. Coming out of a scandalous past, we can appreciate the human endeavor for competing and rallying behind our team's effort to get ahead. The other, of course, a huge win for a select few who otherwise might have been marginalized and subjected to losing in anonymity. This win made sure that they no longer have to worry about risking their careers and their health for some faceless corporate giant and instead find some kind of solace in their healthy future. And of course, with that first win, I'm talking about the fact that the U.S. women's soccer team advanced to the semifinals to face Germany, right? It's great we can forget the scandal of FIFA for a moment and root for those women. And by the time this show airs, comes out on Tuesday, we'll know if the U.S. women are on to Sunday's final. And, of course, the other win was last week's Cannes Line Festival for creativity, where, let's face it, they should have really called it Facebook and Google at Cannes, where technology and companies have invaded the south of France festival for what used to be called creativity. I mean, that was it, right? I mean, did you guys hear of some other big news in the U.S. last week? Oh, right. Hashtag love wins. Everybody can get married now. So, okay. Even though it's the end of June, Joe and I are going to celebrate weddings here at PNR. As they say, weddings are emotional, and the cake is even in tears. Our vows are to say, I do, and bring content marketing, native advertising, and marketing goodness to the proceedings. We'll bring in the old with this old marketing, something new in the freshest breaking content marketing news, something borrowed from somebody else's blog, and you know there's going to be something blue on the show at some point. So to get this wedding march started, and for that I need my friend, my colleague, my co-host, my good, good friend, and the groomsman, the hot groomsman of content marketing, wedding mr hole in one mr joe polizzi how are you my friend uh i'm wonderful thank you that was a that was a fantastic opening and i just have to say happy birthday to you oh thank you very much and i have a birthday present for you actually i just i I just checked our um this old marketing stats and it looks like we've just surpassed three hundred thousand downloads which is kind of nice exactly that three hundred thousand downloads that's the entirety of the people out there listening. If you well, if you don't inc- if you don't include like the spam bots, yeah, there's exactly. that's, there's at least five or six people in and there. All the people who hate listen and wait for us to be mean or something like that. Yeah, we love them too, though. We do. They we help do. us. They help they us because Som- sometimes we go down a wayward path. We and we do. need to we've be brought known back. To go down a wayward path, and we've been. We've been brought back. Sometimes the sometimes the preacher brings us back, and you know what we're talking about. Well, so did you do anything fantastic for your birthday? I did nothing, and it was everything I hoped it could be. To oh, quote that's the Office Space movie. Yes, it was fantastic. Beautiful. I did absolutely nothing except sit on my butt and look at the water and jump into it occasionally. Good for you. Yeah, you had good. Weather. It looked like pretty decent weather. Oh, well, it's it's really hot here in Los Angeles and so it's it's I mean it is full on summertime here so it's 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 definitely pool weather. It's full on summertime here in Cleveland and I saw Noah's Ark just float by my window here on the second floor. <laughs> right, you guys have dealt with a lot of rain there. It's unbelievable how much rain we're getting. It's so weird, you know, how how you see the drought out by you guys and we're not <laughs> there's no drought here. It's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, the I've never seen it so green during this time of the year, but it could be worse. It, it, could, it be worse. could be worse. You could be, yeah, you could be in a major drought, which is, which is worse. It's just weird. It was high fifties yesterday and it rained most of the day. That's oh just not, that's yeah. not summer. No, that's not summer. That's, that's, I don't know. That's the Nordic region during some, <laughs> I don't know what, the, what that is. We should just, yeah, we should just move on. Cause I have nothing to say about we that. We have one. a plethora, a smorgasbord, a cornucopia, if you will, of news this week. 
Um, much of it coming out of our friends down in the south of France, where a lot of stuff was uh, announced. It'll it'll make its uh, head known in the show for sure, and a couple of rants and raves and the news. And the first, uh, what we want to talk about at the top of the show here, we're going to pair a few stories together because it was the week of launch. It was launch week. It was launch week. Um, and... Uh, the first one that we'll start with here comes from The Guardian, where it talks about the Daily Mail, a newspaper there, the Daily Mail, WPP, of course, the giant uh, Martin Sorrell-owned um, uh, conglomerate of ad agencies, and Snapchat are going to launch a native advertising agency. And the article starts off by saying, The Daily Mail, Sir Martin Sorrell's WPP, and Snapchat are launching an agency to cash in on the rise of native advertising. And the Mail and WPP are thought to hold equal large minority stakes in the venture, with Snapchat taking the smaller remaining share. Um, more details of the new agency venture will be unveiled Tuesday, um, which was this Tuesday, of course. And the agency is going to be called, and I'm not even making this up, folks, Truffle Pig will be the name of the agency. And I promise they just not to make, make it that. too easy. Yeah, that's it's just a too easy. But is that is that really know. is that really the name? It is really the name. Truffle Pig is the name of the agency. Um, and then we pair that with also announcing this week from the BBC, uh, the BBC Worldwide, which of course is the commercial arm of the BBC, has overhauled its advertising offering to create an overarching division dedicated to content marketing partnerships for brands. This new arm called StoryWorks, perhaps a little bit more relevantly named, will be pitched to agencies during Con, the, the International Festival, uh, Festival of Creativity this week, and has been structured to function much like an in-house creative agency pulling in resources from existing areas of the advertising division, as well as recruiting externally for roles, account, and project management. And then topping it all off, and then, Joe, I want to get your take, especially on the uh, the WPP Snapchat one. Rounding that out is um, a big hat tip, by the way, on this last story to Adam Frazier at AdamF2014. On Twitter, Washington Post, not to be outdone, is launching its own freelance talent service. This uh, comes to us courtesy of TalkingNewMedia.com and said, The Washington Post unveiled a new way to find freelancers, but one that is becoming used more often. It's established its own online job board where freelancers can apply to be included um, into the Washington Post talent network where freelancers can identify their area of expertise, news, enterprise, multimedia, and then apply to basically create content for the Washington Washington Post. So, wow, this was, I mean, what do you think? Is that it? This is a huge launch of new stuff. Is that it? Are there any more? I'm sure there are, but those are the three that stood out to me. Well, the the first one on the uh, Daily Mail, WPP, and Snapchat, you know, I get I get that they're defraying the risk. I mean, I you know, you, you basically you go in together. I've seen this done many times. You have as well, especially media publishing. You'll get sure. a couple different yeah. gr- groups going together. You're like, hey, okay, we're going to defray the risk. We're going to br- embrace the talent that we have in certain areas of the operations, bring them together. But normally, and I'm not saying that this is going to fail, but I haven't seen these types of models be successful simply because you generally lack real ownership over what it what it really becomes and what it is and they just don't end up being successful because nobody nobody really takes point and runs with it now maybe i don't i mean we're just looking at a press release and an article here so who knows i don't know how what it's going to look like but i just do you do you feel good about this i i the comment here I got to read the one comment because it's uh, the first comment on this article from The Guardian says, grim news for anyone who likes life. I just (laughs) (laughs) that that's not us, folks. Right. That's from Yo Daniel. Yo Daniel is not happy with the three of these coming together. Grim news for people who like life. There's your tweetable moment. Yeah. Well, look, I think uh, to your point, I mean, I've rarely seen, I mean, certainly one where you've got such three diverse businesses trying to come together to launch an agency, to launch a third thing, this agency, you know, I mean, I've seen it work where you've got somebody who's going to manage control and, and the growth and the operations, and then two other people are sort of investors. But the way that this seems to be working is they're creating a third entity, the the truffle pig, um, from a newspaper a giant advertising conglomerate and a startup technology company just seems, I mean, it just seems ripe for, you know, 
you know, failure. I mean, well, I don't it, see how they actually can do something that is going to sustain success. But look, you know, hopefully they can. Hopefully, hopefully it's, I mean, it's certainly very interesting. I just don't understand really what it is they're trying to solve for. You know, I, is this to solve for the native advertising across the the two platforms, Daily Mail and Snapchat, and they're sort of uh, trying to pull in WPP talent to make that happen? Or is it trying to pull in advertising? I mean, as they say, the quote basically says um, that this is really trying to be the best of global agency newsroom and social media talent, which, I mean, I don't I don't really know what that means, but but uh, you know I, I hope they do. I hope they do well. Well, the, the the issue is is that I what I wish they would have done is not. I understand why they do a big splash launch. I of get course. it. Absolutely. They got the salespeople yes. have a really yeah. good story. Let's go out. But when you go out and you say, and this is a quote from the article, we are going to totally evolve the way media planning and creative is done. That's like Johnny Manziel coming into football saying, "I'm going to wreck this league." You are right. setting yourself That's up. Right. For, for right, expectations right. that you don't need right. to. You don't, right. you don't need to do that. So you'd rather launch it as a Skunk Works operation, get a couple clients, do some beta testing, get a feel for how the process is going to work because you've got three really different cultures. And I know we're going to talk about culture later. Bringing these three cultures together, unless they're going to just say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to fund it through these three entities and we're going to set it up on the corner away from these, away from these cultures so that we can do some creative work. That might be a different scenario Which altogether. seems to be, quite frankly, the the idea behind this BBC Worldwide announcement yeah. with their story works, which is, you know, one company saying, look, we are building our own in-house content studio here, and we're going to make it a creative agency, and we're going to pull in resources from all parts of our company to make this new thing work. Um, and, it, and including things like the, – the thing that struck me about this announcement was the idea that they actually – said in the release that we're going to be including things like account and project management into this. I mean, this is a shot of, uh, you know, across the bow of the agencies out there. Basically, this is BBC Worldwide saying, look, we're we're going after the creation of, you know, creative assets for moving marketing forward in businesses. And that's, you know, that's that's direct competition for agencies for sure. Well, what do, you, what do you think about all the launches? It's interesting because I had a good conversation yesterday with uh, Paul Reitzer, our good friend, who's uh, owner, CEO over at PR 2020. And we were yep. just talking about the number of agencies that now have content marketing divisions. So we're seeing the, you know, whether it's that or whether that's the launches we're talking about. And I said, he was just asking me what I see as some of the issues with it. The issue that I see, I wanted to get your take because you're you're meeting with uh, you know these companies all the time. It still seems that a lot of these agencies are taking the creative brief from the clients and they're executing it as the clients say they want it executed, which is the which is number one wrong mistake. They're not advising them on the correct ways to execute their submission. Oh, yeah, you want 100 articles? You want these videos? You want them in six to nine months? And they're not being realistic saying, look, I would rather them say, we can't do this in six to nine months. You're not going to build a loyal, engaged audience in six to nine months. We need to take a longer approach. We need to get realistic on what we think we can and can't accomplish over the next 12 months. I just don't see that. And I see agencies going after and taking whatever they can because it's almost like, hey, hey, we're all we're a new content marketing division. Let's do this. Let's get this content. Well, that's exactly it. They're wrapping they're wrapping their existing services into a new ba- a new bow is what they're doing. Is they're saying, listen, our clients are hot right now for content that support marketing campaigns, and so yeah, this content needs to be you know whether they're calling it branded content or content marketing or you know native advertising or whatever it is. Yeah. They're they're looking and they're hearing from their clients that they're hot for these assets that can support marketing. And so what they're saying is, okay, great, we know how to do that. We can put people in charge of that and we can, you know, give them fancy titles and do all of that and and what they'll be is they'll be our group that basically creates content to support direct marketing campaigns, but it won't be content like ads, it'll be content like, you know, blogs and stuff. And so at that point you go, but it's just another, you know, what happens over time and I've watched this happen with businesses especially those that have created their own content marketing departments at the brand side, what ends up happening is is that five, six, seven months down the road when these comp- these departments are creating content, some of it quite good, some of it not great, some of it mediocre, whatever, 
But what ends up happening is five or six or seven months down the road, they just become yet another creative in-house, basically asset management team, creating assets to support direct marketing campaigns. And then somebody goes, well, why why do we have a separate team creating these assets? Why don't we just move this back into the marketing team? And people go, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And so the the difference is is that it's a different mindset like you said it's about building an audience it's about investing in a different way it's about building a content marketing program and and quite frankly many of these agencies just don't understand it yet now on the flip side the interesting thing to me and i'm fascinated to learn more about this and actually plan to do a little more research into this because i'm just starting to dig in a little bit is that on the publisher side what I had thought was the original challenge for them, which was delivering strategy, in other words, delivering something that is more than just content execution, so delivering actually something where they go in and talk about account management and account directors and strategy and how they're going to do this, and I thought that was the big challenge. What I'm hearing now from the publishers that I'm talking to, the big challenge is, is that they're actually making some of the same mistakes that publishers did back in the day where they looked at digital and said, well, digital's just make good for print. And so they're looking at this as sort of a way to make print more effective or make their advertising strategies more effective. And so in much the same way, they're sort of looking at content as just, again, this way to create assets that support. So they're actually looking to the agencies for guidance here, and they shouldn't be. They should actually be reinventing the entire process, and that's where they'll be more competitive. That's a, you know That model, when I first started doing this in 2000 at Penton, that was the model. It was, hey, we've got a 12-time advertising partner or spending, you know, a quarter of a million dollars on advertising, and we want to keep them happy, and their their campaign is about this, so can we do a series of, and you name it, right? Ma- yeah. Can we do mini magazine, e-books, white papers, whatever to support, and we'll do it at cost because we're making the profit off of the advertising. That's right. And That's right. It was, not, it was not. It was not good. It's, yeah, it's, I see the same. It's funny that when I'm talking to these guys that are in publishing and that are actually starting these content studios up, that seems to be one of the big challenges: is that they're actually struggling for strategic relevance and not just falling into the trap of becoming another content execution for traditional advertising yeah. strategy. But I'd flip that if I'm if I'm a publisher and you're doing that, I would try to completely flip that model. I'd rather if you have to value add, I'd value add the advertising. I know they don't want to hear they do not want to hear that. Right. But that's well, exactly what I would do. And do the strategy. I mean that's the opportunity. When I talk to these publishers, I'm like, do the strategy part. If you can do the strategy part well, that's where you, A, you can already start to compete with these agencies and quite frankly do it better than many of them in in in, in some cases. And if you can start hiring those agency strategists and pulling in those, I mean they will you know, you'll start disintermediating uh, dis- disintermediating agencies very very quickly here. It's 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 the next two or three years in the agency and service creative services world is going to be fascinating. I would love you know, that's where publishers actually have the advantage because I they can go they in too. Well, they can go in. You can go in and say, look, how are you measuring this now? And they're in, they're measuring it by you know lower level metrics, impressions, whatnot. And you could say, look, the real measurement, we know this in publishing, the real value is opt-in permission of a subscriber, build that loyal subscriber over time, you'll see different behavior in that subscriber. We do this. This is what we do for a living. Yeah. Let me show you how to do that That's with right. your audience. And then plus, we've got... I mean, this is where publishers have the advantage over agencies because, and that's why you and I have talked about this, why I think some agencies that have core niches in certain vertical areas could actually buy blog sites or media companies in those sites because they can get reach and distribution is because if all things are equal and you're an agency and you're going up against, let's say, a BBC worldwide and BBC has a reach that you don't have as a brand, I'm picking BBC. I get reach. And that's the biggest issue. Like if you're a small business and you don't have budget and you're not going to put against paid assets, you really need like paid I'm um, like paid distribution model of some kind. It's going to take you a long time to build that organically. That's where a lot of big brands have the advantage. Like Paul and I were talking about this is where if you already have built in reach and distribution, you you already have an advantage. You can kick kickstart because you have somewhere the content can go. Well, that and that's what I kind of you know. So I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but what I expected to see, and I'm pimping a little bit of my 
my rant, which is a little later, but what what I expected to see coming out of uh, of Con Lion this year was not yet another integrated sort of agency plus technology company plus publisher creates another agency, which is what we saw, but rather agency plus publisher plus technology company creates some amazing new lifestyle publishing brand. That's right. That's right. You know, which is like, where is that? You know, That's exactly the- what I thought. Well, we can go to that because you're going to rant about it and I'm going to comment on it. That was part of my comment. So yeah. we, we'll save that All one right. because it's a, so it's, it's going to be an appetizer at the end it's, of the show. It's going to be fantastic. Stay very tuned. Very, very tasty. Very, very tasty. All right. Moving on. Um, this uh, article comes to us courtesy of Ad Age. Um, and this is just a fun little article. We thought we'd uh, mention it because it's news and it's also just a really good story about hey, what's can going Can I interrupt on. something real yeah, quick? Sure, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. on Ad Age site, but I don't. I, this is just a publishing thing. You know how I used to go to AdAge, and if you're not a member and subscribe, they said, right. this is your one. It doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. They took anymore. it off. Yeah, they took it away. Yeah, I, I, I have not been getting pinged to, to subscribe anymore. I don't know what happened. Well, the, I remember it was, this was, what, a, a couple months ago, and like, yeah. you're, you, this is your fourth page view oh, of yeah. seven, fourth article of seven, and be careful, because three more, you don't get any more. And I'm like, oh, man. What I, I gonna, ran out. I what mean, am I going to do? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what am I going to do? I had nightmares about it. It was just horrible. Uh, we live such wholesome lives, <laughs> friend. Yeah, just really full lives. But it's just interesting. I'd love filled with ad age pop ups. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to know what the impetus was for them to change that. So maybe we should find. Maybe that Maybe it was maybe all yeah. of the wonderful feedback that they've gotten. Of, you know how how awesome getting a Please. message saying that you can't read Stop. any more content is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm sorry. You may. It's all right. And it's the headline here is CBRE extends content marketing program to an online magazine. So CBRE Group, if you're not familiar, is a nine billion dollar commercial real estate company. And it says it's extending its content marketing program with the launch of Blueprint, an online magazine which covers the trends and issues affecting commercial real estate and the overall business climate. Blueprint, which launches today, actually, and that was this week, is produced in-house digital agency partner group SJR, um, which, of course, we've talked about on this show before, aimed at CBRE's clients, including commercial real estate investors, businesses that buy and lease property. Um, And I just thought this was – here's my take on this really quickly here. The reason I like this story – so much was they say down the you know one of the 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 cmo paul suchman i guess is his name um at cbre group he basically says the company has three objectives brand equity building brand equity enhancing relationships with their clients and delivering against revenue growth and he said this initiative addresses two of the three and the reason I like this is because, first of all, it's not only revenue where we can add value with content marketing or a content marketing approach. And two, content marketing doesn't always have to solve every single problem that the business has or every challenge that the business has. And, you know, and, and I might argue that if you do the first two of those things, build brand equity and enhance the relationships, you might actually do the third thing more easily. So we often get wrapped up in this idea that content marketing initiatives have to build the brand plus thought leadership, plus drive leads, plus drive ROI, plus drive, you know, and. And it doesn't have to do all – it can, but it doesn't have to do all of those things. And this is, a, I think, a great example of a big company figuring this out and, and launching something that may or may not do what they're trying to do. And it's just, a, I think, a really interesting example. Well, I think it's setting the right expectations too. I agree with you. I think that because the whole there's a whole uh, portion of this article that talks about the quantity of the audience. So reach is really important, getting the right people to opt in and subscribe to their content, engage with them. And them allowing permission. So basically, they're creating permission-based assets. So they go through the whole thing. So I like all that. Now, they're setting the expectations that they're not putting sales metrics against that. But if they do those other things correctly, I think you're right. I think they're going to see behavior change. Because you're going to – once you – I mean, it's you know the very simple if – you, if you have no technology tools at all and you're trying to show – some kind of return against subscribership, you'd say, okay, well, let's take our subscribers, let's put those subscribers against our customer database, and let's see what the differences are based on against those that don't subscribe. That's like really, really easy. Not, I don't want to say make it too easy. It's not easy, but it's it's a simple process to do once you know what you're doing, yeah, and you don't exactly. need a you know huge technology tool to get that done. So I like that. So the fact that they're actually going for and saying, look, we're trying to build an audience and focusing on that. I, I, it's 
you know, of course, it's brilliant. Well, I guess we'll have to see how it's executed. Yeah, against. I mean, so he's saying the right things. Yes, exactly. I mean, the thing that I like about it is that very often the first thing that comes out of our mouths when we talk about content marketing is how many more can I get, right? How many more leads? How many more visitors? How many more social visits? How much more engagement? <laughs> and what I also, but I also want to make sure that people understand it's not always about more leads, more sales, more revenue. It can also be about making the things that we do more effective is a huge value that we can add to the brand. I mean, I know I've talked about, I mean, I'm such a fanboy and and I get probably accused of <laughs> being part of their team, but what Julie Fleischer at Kraft does is so amazing she can't i can't expect her to have that program show how more people buy macaroni and cheese because she has food and family magazine but because she makes every part of their other advertising and marketing strategy better in other words the research that she has makes the brand managers more effective and in fact better research than just about anything out there and it makes the programmatic ad buying they're doing better it makes the targeting better it makes the other things they're doing better that is a valuable thing and a justification for content marketing to exist it doesn't always have to be about generating a more leads or even a cheaper lead it can be you know about adding value in different ways well the other thing too, and it's it's almost hidden at the end of this, but it says CBR group CBRE group will promote the publication through social media, meh, its own website, again, meh, opt in emails I like, and right. my favorite thing was its employees. Because we often forget about our most important marketers in the organization, which are probably our employees if we really think about that. And they've got three hundred and seventy offices around the world. So yeah. if you oh, can is, if yeah. you can leverage that and I don't know I mean you work on a lot of these programs you there's most of the most of the organizations we work with forget that part yeah the employee engagement part right. about them yeah. understanding what we're doing and them even engaging and that was those are my favorite programs to work on when I was at Penton and we were selling these programs my favorite ones were specifically sent to employees because I thought those were so impactful for them to understand the story understand what we're doing and then what they would naturally do would be Share, share this them. stuff share this exactly. stuff with the people that they know which in often cases were future prospects or customers or other Future employees, yep. if it's a recruitment best strategy. Story, your best storytellers can be your team, and your and your worst storytellers can be your team. So, you know, a, a bad story told by one of your employees can ruin everything you're doing externally. So getting that getting that choir to sing well is, is a huge piece. But the first two, I mean, how many times have we talked about the fact, and you tell the story all the time, about the one organization you worked with that couldn't get blog put on the navigation, <laughs> that they were creating a blog and they couldn't get the web team to approve that? Right. Distribution is so critical. You could have the best content in the world, but if nobody can find it, that's a problem. That's so we've right. got to and think so about that as part of the strategy, and it sounds like they've done that. Yeah, exactly right. All right, moving on to our next story here. This comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, that big old newspaper up there in New York. And the headline is, How Television Won the Internet. Oh, dear. Um, big hat tip, by the way, to Jason Velasquez, at jvelasquez1968. Uh, Jason, um, well, we'll talk about your Twitter handle later, but... Um, <laughs> was that so the year he was at, born? Yeah, <laughs> I think so, probably. At Jay Velasquez1968, if you want to follow him on Twitter. And thank you to Jason for this uh, wonderful article, basically an op-ed piece um, that talks about how television has won the Internet. And it starts off by saying that in a testy interview with Rupert uh, uh, James, actually, the CEO of Murdoch um, at Fox... Uh, several years ago, uh, they started talking about the future of television and, and all of this with the technology and what was going on with the Internet and blah, 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 and Silicon Valley's merit, you know, all this kind of stuff and what's going on. And he then goes on to write in this op-ed piece basically saying that television has won. Basically, the television audiences are, have never been bigger, that the Internet has really sort of helped aggregate audiences around this idea of television and what television is providing that you know and, and all of this uh, is going on just around you and he says that the internet has never been better for the actual thing of television and anyway before i give my take on this what what did you what did you think about this this one the tele, did, did the television win the internet war well it's you know? the it's the we were talking about this before i have yeah. the same question as you do i don't know when you say television which technically is 
the device. I mean, what do, how do we, how are we defining television? Are they defining television as this is the way to well, go he to does market? It, he, well, he's, he, he does it very conveniently, right? In the headline, he's saying that television is a platform, a service, a distribution method, because in order to compare the two, you have to. I mean, I love what the, one of the first comments in the article says basically, like, comparing these two is like saying the alphabet won the publishing wars, which is great. You know, but he, in the, he very conveniently in the headline is using television as a platform, a service, a distribution method, like the Internet, and basically saying that television won against the Internet, I guess. But the interesting, when he goes into the article and he starts talking about it, how, how television won the war, he's talking about television as a device, an appliance. And that's the real question. And it's, it, I've, you've heard me ask this in workshops, and you've heard me ask it here on this show, which is we need to ask ourselves, what is television? I mean, do we, or, and do we even really care, really? Yeah. I mean, when we watch Netflix on a laptop, are we, are we watching television? No, I, don't, I would say not. But ultimately, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. I mean, we don't say, you know, I mean, when was the last time you said, hey, kids, let's go down to the Nickelodeon you know, and, and watch, you know, watch some of the moving pictures, you know, like we did in the early 90s. Or, you know, when was the last time you went to, you know, and say, hey, let's go to the drive-in. We don't listen to record. I mean, you and I probably still say this, but we don't say we don't listen to records anymore. Did, you know, did you see? Music. I got to say, did you see the thing from Seth Meyers where he was talking about the, the guy from Fox News that was talking about? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. I, I don't know. I didn't know. I just really caught the bit. But the guy from. When, you go to the, when, when our kids from, can go to the store and buy music that yeah, the, the N word. No, it's, yeah, it's, it said basically, he says, I can't understand why uh, President Obama lets right. his daughters go to to the store to right, buy, to buy music. and you know the n-word and the music and whatever right. that they were talking about right. and seth Myers says well, why would we take advice but anybody that believes that, that, that president kids obama's kids go to the store to buy their music and buy music right exactly it's the same kind of thing right yeah it was that well i mean you and i i mean again you and i being the age we are we probably still say you know i still find myself saying did you tape that show you know, but of course we don't tape the show. A record. We yeah. DVR them, right? And you know, when DVR has now become a verb, and now we listen to music like you know, if we listen to music through streaming services like RDO or Spotify, we don't. Li- we're not listening to the radio, even if we listen through satellite. We're not listening to radio. So television is going through its own evolution here, and I would not be surprised in the next five or ten years if we just stop referring to watching television at all. That's heavy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's it, right? I mean, so it's like, it's, 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 the, you know, the, the answer to the op ed is did television win the internet? It's irrelevant because television is irrelevant. Well, to the point, and you and I both paid attention to some of the comments in here, and they were saying, oh, you know, it's dead because I'm canceling my cable subscription and whatever. But I think they're missing the point that it's the programming. The programming is being engaged with on multiple platforms and even, let's say, Netflix, who has how many, you know, millions of people that have subscribed to that. They are paying a licensing fee to all all those companies that are uh, creating the content. That's right. So there's lots of money being made on both sides of that argument. Whether or not somebody watches a television doesn't matter. But the deal is, is that it's the direct... And it's the, the, the article goes in depth, which is actually really fascinating about the fact that the, that the more money is now being made off of people paying for their content versus advertised against. That's right. That's right. Which and is that, really you know, significant, which I think is the opportunity for brands. That's, I mean, that's a content marketing play, really, where you can say, look, we can ha- now have a direct relationship with our customers. We don't have to go through the intermediary that was the alphabets or the, uh, what would be the other intermediary for that? Oh, or the the, the cable, sure, broadcasting yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I mean the, the the television stations back in the day when there were you know quite literally a handful of them. You had broadcast television stations, and then you had hundreds of cable providers, and now you have millions and tens of millions of you know. It, basically, it is now democratized to the point where if you want to have your own television network, you can. You can have your own television network. And in fact, you can argue that any one of us could set up a television network tomorrow. And if we just set up the right content, we could compete with Netflix and and any other television content aggregator out there that's pulling in great content. The only thing it takes is money, talent, time, and an audience. And, you know, that's the real – 
that's the real magic thing. I mean, that's what we're all trying to figure out as brands, as entertainment companies. And when we talk about the idea of brands becoming publishers or brands becoming media companies, this is the idea. We no longer have to rely on the television station in order to get our content, our value out to consumers. We can do that ourselves. Now, whether we choose to do it and to what degree we choose to do it, you know, we don't all have to go after the Red Bull level types of becoming a media company. There's a wonderful article, by the way, which we didn't cover this week on Contently that talks about exactly this, right? That, you know, you're not having to go, you don't, in other words, in order to be content marketing, you don't have to go to the level that Coca-Cola or Red Bull does in order to do that. But you can if you want to. I mean, that's the, you know, you can become a media company that also happens to fill in the blank of your industry if, if you choose to do that. Although I, that's where I think is the opportunity. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in my rant rave section. That's where I think the opportunity is, and that's where I think a lot of brands are missing out. So I guess in long story short, is there anything to this article that we can take away from your perspective? I think the opportunity – I mean one of the things that I, I, I want us to think about as marketers is is that the idea of – you know, when we talked about this last show too, whether it's when, when we start, we, we have in our heads sort of certain perceptions about interface versus service, right? When we th- start talking about mobile versus desktop, that's not a distinction any longer, right? Because when we think of mobile, we think of phone and instead it should be untethered, right? So me on my mobile laptop or my tablet or in my car versus me sitting at a desk or, you know, you know lean back versus lean forward experience. There's all that kind of stuff. Those are the kinds of distinctions we should be making, not looking at a device and saying, oh, that's television. I can never be there because television is controlled by some blah, 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 blah. We, as content creators, as content marketers, we can move beyond that and think you know, much at a, at a much more strategic level about where content and how content is distributed independent of the device that it's ultimately consumed on. Well, that's where you know, going back to like a Marriott and they can put their flag yeah, in the ground exactly. and say, we're going to be the leading informational destination for travel and tourism. And they can absolutely become that. Yeah. And they don't, ha- they're not, they don't have to do a deal with a distribution network right. to make when it happen. Make, right. When you make a record, you don't have to go get a record contract in order to be successful at it. When you create a feature film, you don't have to go get a movie studio to help you distribute it. You, when you create a television show... Or you can, right? You can help. You can use those people to it's, help you get marketing and more awareness and more, you know, and, and, and reach out. And that's just a money promotion reach exercise. But it's the opposite, right? It's, it's almost the opposite today where you, you create your own audience. You build your um, power, in quotes, uh, whatever that means, because you have an audience that you are serving ongoing. And then opportunities with the traditional media uh, networks open up. You know, then you, then you get your tea. Right. Like, look at a Louis C.K. or something exactly like that. He right. builds his own it's audience, great, and then he, now he can do whatever he wants to do. He can do the show if he wants to do it. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, same thing, right? He could do all the stuff that he wants to do because he's it's built an audience. So, It's a great point. Well, speaking of doing the show that they want to do, we couldn't do this show that we wanted to do without our wonderful sponsor. We've got an amazing new sponsor this week. We have a new returning sponsor. Yeah. You know, well, returning sponsor. New returning. New returning sponsor, yeah. I, we love returning sponsors because Absolutely we do. that may mean that we're doing something right. I'm not sure, but... 300,000 downloads, my friend. We're doing something a little bit right. That's right. You tell them. That's this old this old marketing Tell is sponsored. This old marketing this week is sponsored by Ta-da. our good friends Ta-da. at Acrolinks. The Acrolinks platform helps the world's most recognized brands create more engaging, more readable, and more enjoyable content. Did you know there was software that did that, Robert? I don't know I do if now. you knew that, but you I do. If you didn't know, I know you did. But some of us out there don't know that. Now, Measuring the world's content. This is a really good. This is called the Global Content Impact Index. You need to go download this. This is super interesting. So in 2015, Acrolinks launched a major research project to read and evaluate the world's content using a proprietary linguistic analytics engine. I wouldn't be in that meeting. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> our, our software reviewed, they're saying, 150,000 individual public-facing web web pages from 340 companies around the world. 
uh, represented 20 million sentences and over 160 million words. If you like counting, that's, you know, it's pretty high. Uh, the results were very surprising. <laughs> you, I, you, you really need to, you really, I like need, to count. You, <laughs> you really need to download the report. It's a solid report. Go it look really at is. it. You will I've not it. regret it. I've seen it. the index. It's really, really. They it's gave really me a little good. bit of a heads up on it, and it was. It's really cool. So you can download the Acrolinks Global Content Impact Index at bitly bit.ly slash Acrolinks. That's A C R O L I N X dash global dash index. That, so it's bitly.com slash Acrolinks dash global dash index. We'll absolutely put it in the show notes, which we've been doing and actually getting a lot of good comments on, Robert, about putting that in the uh, the show notes immediately on yeah. Stitcher and iTunes. It's a little bit extra work. Dopey but that way. It takes us. We're slow to learn. It only took us like 81 episodes to get there. But people out. are very thankful. We're hearing it. So wow, that's great. Like a metafile in there that you can like put content into and stuff. You know, like, uh, who, hello. who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Uh, they, everybody did. Everybody these, but us. No, these things are called links and URLs that you can put in there and you click on them and things happen. Uh, but we can do that and we're going to have it obviously on the uh, notes page, the blog post that comes out on Saturday in the States. And uh, just make sure you go download this piece of content, bit.ly.com slash Acrolinks global dash index. And thanks to Acrolinks for sponsoring this week's show. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for your favorite part of our show, the segment where we call it Rants and Raves, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel like, oh, like getting married or makes us feel like something like we don't have insurance. Um, so anyway, uh, our rant and rave, you're going first. Or no, I go first. You go first. Right, I go second. I you have the, the sole marketing. This yeah. So big hat tip, by the way, here to Nanad Senek, who passed this on. Um, this goes back to our uh, our coverage of the Con Lion event, and basically the article comes to us uh, also courtesy of Ad Age, which, as you might expect, did a lot of coverage of the event. And basically, the uh, the the article here is how they didn't award a grand prize for branded content this year. They didn't do it last year either, but they didn't do it this year. Um, they ordered they they did award a number of what they call golden lions and silver lions, but no grand prize. And the article goes on to describe basically why they didn't do that. And and one of the quotes was really that. Many of the entrants in the branded content, this is a quote now, many of the entrants in the branded content and entertainment category just slapped a logo onto something or made an integration for the brand's sake without any larger narrative or natural partnership, um, said one of the jury members and um, who is also head of innovation and branded content at Mediacom. And the really interesting thing to me is I went in and looked at it and I was like, all right, well, this is where content marketing sits, is, is in this branded con- – theoretically is where it sits in this branded content. They need thing. to change the name. Well, they really do. Well, they just need to understand what they're doing, first of all, because it's just a mess. I mean, so I said, well, let me go in there and see what actually – the rules for entry were. So if I was an agency, what would I be looking at to enter in? And I won't bore you with all those details, but it's just this convoluted thing where really anything that is content (laughs) would qualify as basically as branded content. And so that's confusing enough. But then I started, I looked at the winners. I said, all right, let's go look at the winners and actually who won the gold lines and silver lines and would have theoretically been up for the big grand prize. Well, here are just three. Here are three of the winners, Joe. Okay, I'm ready. The Like a Girl campaign. So Leo Burnett won a Golden Line for that branded content award for that. It's a wonderful campaign. It's an advertising campaign. It's an ad campaign. A beautiful, wonderful, brilliantly executed ad campaign. Ad campaign, yep. Second, number two, the Proud Whopper, which was a stunt that Burger King did where they put the same hamburger inside a package where there was rainbow colored paper and then when you opened it up it said everybody's the same on the inside and people's at, and they filmed people's reaction to that like you know is this a gay hamburger and then they opened it oh i get it it's everybody's on the same i'm i'm going to be a changed man now ha 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 okay no that's branded it's wonderful ad campaign cool stunt not content marketing and then my favorite was guess the one of the ones that won the golden lions joe the ice bucket challenge I'm not even making this up. The Ice Bucket Challenge won two Lions, and ALS won. And I'm so glad that ALS won for it, but they had nothing to do with it. They didn't even create it. 
Oh my which, gosh! Which is, which is insane to me that, that this is one a, a huge award, and that they really don't have anybody to give it to because nobody they, ALS didn't create that. It was created. It was a viral campaign that sort of started on its own. It benefited ALS. I'm super glad that it did, but it's not like ALS said, "Hey, we're going to think up this really cool thing," and they didn't. And this is something that's happening, by the way, in awards for media as well, right? Traditional media like the Golden Globes and the Oscars and all this kind of stuff. And we've talked about this on this show, right? Like True Detective, which just started its second season, right? It changes casts every season and storylines every season. Now, is that really a miniseries or is it a drama series? And which category should it be in? Orange is the New Black. Is it a drama or a comedy? It was nominated as a drama. That's weird. That's really confusing. The same thing is now happening at Con and new categories. There's new categories this year. There's a new category called creative data. Not even making that up. That's a new category this year. There's Ooh. the glass lions. I don't even know what a glass lion is. And then there's a new category called, and I'm not even making this up either, innovation. There's a new category just called innovation. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. And I'm sure all the recipients are very well-deserving. I don't mean to cast disparity on anybody that won an award. The work is brilliant, but it's just a mess. And what does all this have to do with content marketing? Well, kind of nothing at the moment, because I'm not even sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure if the Conline Festival is this relic of a fading star of an industry that's losing relevancy, or if, if it's an event that's kind of evolving in this new disruptive space where brands, and I hope it's the latter. I really hope it's the latter, because the Creativity Festival has been around for a long time. It's been interesting for you know well it's been interesting at times and you know it's just it's just something that i hope is something that's going to change because it's just i i think it's just a hot mess at the moment and i have to mention the tumblr which got created this is a wonderful thing it's called can you just shut up which is you know k c a n n e s can you just shut up with the pun there which took a bunch of the more self-important humble brag types of quotes you know oh dear our our bag is so heavy now with them holding all these you know con lion awards we have to get extra suitcases and the tweet of that and and basically, it's a very funny Tumblr if you want to go if you want to go look at it. Anyway, so end of rant there, but it's just a it's just a mess, and I, I and I don't I don't know what the answer is, but 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 the answer is definitely not more categories where it's m- even more confusing. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, we, and that's why we have a whole big issue again with the idea of branded content because branded content is so different than creating a content brand that's an asset for the the exactly. organization which is much exactly. much different and uh you know i guess it's fine they can just continue to do their thing you can't the thing is is what now obviously we've just gone through our content marketing awards so i've seen so many different awards come through and what and and you cannot judge it on a piece of content like if you're judging it's like i judged portions of like content marketing program of the year and things like that just as important as the content you engage in is the results and the process and the hypothesis behind it so that you can figure out what was the program? What did we do? How long did it last? Was it continual? Was it consistent? What was the editorial calendar? You have to ask, ask some really tough questions. Like, I'm just curious if they looked at the content and you, you that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's be more, you know, create interesting. You could say it's most interesting or one-time piece, but they all look like campaigns. Yeah, so. well, I mean, and adding to that complexity and sort of the mess of it all now is, is that the entire event has really become sort of a data, usage of data, programmatic sort of spot. You know, it's like the big sort of, the big sort of big tentpole um, sponsors now, you know, it's, it's, it's who you might expect. It's Facebook, it's Google, it's LinkedIn, it's, you know, it's all of these technology companies that have invaded this this space and, and, and are really, you know, sort of taking it over, which is, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, it's just different than what it used to be. And I'm not sure it's the same festival anymore. It's just, you know, it's not dissimilar really from how South by Southwest has really evolved or devolved in some people's mind over time, which is you used to go and learn stuff and now you just go and party. By the way, I wanted to let you know that I'm looking at my ad age article right now and it says this is your third of seven free items there, this month okay, so i go. i don't it took a while i just wanted to let you know i knew you were concerned <laughs> i was gonna have nightmares so i wanted to let yeah i wanted to let you know so no no worries it's all, all right. it's, it's all good. good all right mine is really uh brief it's 
I saw this uh, the other day on um, my Facebook feed, and it's so the title of the article is nothing to do with content marketing. It says, uh, "From Business Insider, I'm a self-made millionaire, and here are the ten best pieces of advice I can give you about money." So, <laughs> so it's it's sort of a silly article in ways. I mean, I like some of the insight, but the comments are like this guy's an idiot type of stuff, which I don't believe. But there's there's two really. Uh, important issues there. So number three and number five of these top ten that hit me, and I'm, I always think about this when it look when it comes to content marketing. So the fastest way to make money is to solve a problem. So that's it comes right back to this is not branded content. This is content marketing. What problem are we solving for? Is really so if you can really so the, basically the guy says the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you make. If you can focus on a niche audience and really solve a problem and help them in some way through some content solution or experience, that's a really good way to start your content marketing strategy. So that's the one thing. And the other thing, you talked about this earlier, was number five is expect to make more money. So let me put this in to uh, terms of content marketing. You know, you, you just brought up before about you don't have to do, like, set the big, hairy, audacious right. goal like a Marriott or Red Bull. I really do believe that's the best way. to It's to set the vision for the team, set your content marketing mission statement that you are going to be the resource for this group about this. And when... I really believe I talk to small businesses about this all the time because when they do is they create a bunch of content that is just like every other piece of content, right? It's just like, hey, any other small business in that industry would create this. What we want to do is we want to say, look, if we create this mission statement and we put this on our wall, first of all, is it possible? You've got to say, yes, it is possible. Like I, I use this one all the time where if you're a pet supplies company, you're not going to just create a blog about pet supplies, because you'll get crushed from Petco's and PetSmarts of the world. You just don't have the budget to do that. But could you create a pet supplies blog focusing on people who like to travel with their pets and RVs and focus on those? Yes, yes. That's a niche that you could actually be the leading informational expert in the world if you focus on that. And so I really believe this. And actually, in, in talking to a lot of the entrepreneurs that I did for, for Content Inc., the big differentiation was this thinking big is a key part of it, is actually thinking that, look, we have to set the big, hairy, audacious goal. We have to actually believe that we can do this, that this is what our goal is from a content perspective and a business perspective. And if we set that goal, we will then in turn set the processes, get the resources and the people to accomplish that goal. I see so many companies, yep. big and small, set these, hey, we're just going to create another, and I'm not going to pick on marketing automation, but we see it a lot in marketing automation where you can't tell the difference between one blog on one marketing automation company site versus another one. Very hard. Just, well, yeah. I mean, just here, here's another one. Just Google SEO eBook. That's right. And, and see how many. It's 12 million or whatever right. results, exactly. right? Yeah, Everybody's got an SEO eBook. Yeah. Are you telling a different story? We should do meta tags. <laughs> meta tags are important. H1. Do H2. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, those are the two that I had. So I guess it's sort of a rave or just something that I was thinking about when I was going through these. I think that's so critical. So I would say anybody who's doing any portion of content marketing, you go back, you look at your content mission, marketing mission statement. Hopefully you have one. You need one for each independent audience, just like a publisher, just like a media company has one for every media brand they have. They know what their editorial mission is and their goal and expectation is always, I've never been involved in a media company that says, hey, you know what, hopefully we're the fifth best book in this market. <laughs> Nobody does this. Nobody buys advertising from the fifth best resource. I love that. That's it's so true. Awesome. They always That's go. But so awesome, look at though. the go That's go so into great. any of these niche industries in the trades and go through. They have a mission <laughs> statement that says we are the leading informational expert about <laughs> supply chain solutions, RFID, whatever the case is. It doesn't just say we just hope we're one of the pack. <laughs> we just hope we're the fifth best <laughs> magazine. That's so great. I love that. <laughs> Anyways, you never buy from the fifth. 
Absolutely. Anyways, that's that's my uh, that's my I like take that this one week. Very much. Now you have a really yeah. good uh, this whole marketing this week. I do. I can't believe it's one of those ones where you found it and you go, "Wow, how have we not covered this one in eighty five episodes?" Well, here we are in episode eighty five, and we're going to cover it. Um, this comes to us uh, from General Mills, actually, uh, Tablespoon dot com. Um, which in many ways uh, really reflects um, what we've talked about with craft so uh, often is another uh, basically online recipes database started in 2009, um, so six years ago. And it's like 50 now. years in internet yeah, years. In d- digital, digital time, years. Right? So, yeah, six years ago and going strong now. Um, and basically uh, this comes from the press release from 2009 when they actually launched the site really was trying to answer the question. So you're, to your point, solving the problem. What problem are they solving? And if this comes from the very first line of the press release, what are they trying to do? They're trying to perfect the answer to the question, what should I make? And the new website is a pilot, and it was going to announce. Then they were trying to pull in all these brands from um, their family of brands and all these recipes using these kind of brands, and then also combine that with thousands of the passionate everyday cooks from around the world. And sort of, they started. They started with twenty-five thousand recipes. I'm sure there are many, many, many more than that. One of the cool differentiators that they had was being able to search the recipe database by interesting types of filters, such as I don't like cilantro or I love chocolate or I'm pressed for time. And then they had this smart search filter to be able to uh, to do that. And then you could add your recipes to a playlist. You could share recipes with others. You could create your own customized version of the existing recipes, face, you know, share them on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, they had weekly email newsletters filled with timely ideas and all that kind of stuff. And then there's an article that we'll include uh, in the show notes, which which is actually a interview um, with the creators and the team. One of the things I have to tell you, Joe, that I love about this one, as I was going through the site, I went to the About Us page, and all of the contributors are listed there, and they all have really cool, punny names, right? There's a, there's one guy who's named uh, Mas Chismo, right? You know, and, which is really cool, right? You know, and then there's the other one, Accidentally Sexy, you know, and uh, I mean, there's really, really cool, fun usernames for the contributors, which really adds to the personality of the site. Really just awesome. And they interview a few of them uh, in this Forbes article that we'll put the uh, link to in the show notes and basically talk about how they set the site up, what their goals are. They're trying to get, you know, a lot of shares, a lot of engagement, a lot of, you know, sort of brand equity out there with the different brands that they're supporting, all General Mills brands, which, of course, you know, they got 20 or 25 different brands that they're supporting there for different products. And they don't disclose ROI or what they're getting out of the site because they're not allowed to in this interview. But basically, they look at... In reach and engagement is the heart of their metrics. They use engagement numbers to gauge the popularity of their content, which is really understanding what kind of content, what kind of topics are really resonating with their audience that they're building, and that they're looking to build that sharing, the building across all the different social channels. Um, as he says uh, in one part of the article, you know, they started in 2011 when Pinterest launched with 15 followers, and now they have more than 8,000. So something is working there, and it's a really interesting story and now that it's six years old it's just i think a fun and great example of uh this old marketing oh that's fantastic i wonder how they measure i would love to get those and anybody know anybody from that team right we would love to to get some insider information on how they really measure that outside of just getting interviewed at a, a forbes article so exactly would love that okay we've got i think it's uh Independence Weekend coming up. It I is. Believe. It's coming up. What are you doing? Are you going any? You just hanging out with the family? This, it's a on? big week this week. Uh, first of all, uh, coming up this week is Papa Polizzi's um, birthday, oh, so yeah, we're going to go awesome. golfing, of course. So that yeah. that'll be fun. And then and hole in one, maybe. Uh, well, if you know what, I'm I'm satisfied with one hole in one. I really, yeah. and I told you this before. I, yeah. All I want is for my father to get a hole in one. Awesome. I'm really so. If everyone can put their collective juices together and think about. Uh, Tony Polizzi, we would like you to get a hole in one. Please make that happen. Um, so yeah, maybe it'll happen on his birthday. That'd be a great time to do it. Yeah. And then on the weekend, uh, we have all kinds of kids coming over. We do uh, Cam's Corners here in Cleveland. There's a big parade. So Fourth of July parade will go around. Everybody gets all hot and sweaty, and then they run over. We do a big cookout with all the kids, and they jump in the pool. We play basketball, cornhole, and all that good stuff. So it'll be nice. a great, great day oh, with a lot of friends. How about yourself? 
Uh, it's going to be another quiet weekend. I'm, I, I have to say, just to just because I'm sort of appreciative of not being on the road and and being quiet. We're going to have a little cookout here um, at the new homestead, and sort of I'm going to enjoy being at the new homestead, which is uh, of course uh, a novelty. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's not going to be anything terribly exciting. Just uh, hanging out here, having a cookout, maybe um, you know, maybe few cocktails i'm not sure a, maybe a few maybe maybe had. one maybe, maybe two one or ten or ten yeah exactly yeah absolutely fantastic we'll have it but well, you deserve the time off i mean you've been on the road a lot what was that 13 yeah. days yeah, yeah it was so. a 13 day trip oh, yeah, enjoy all right well before i sign off i have a challenge for all of you out there in the audience and not even joe knew about this this is a challenge that i'm issuing for the last 20 episodes there has been an easter egg in each one of the episodes, your mission, and I have a free book, uh, and I'll give you. I'll I'll not only give you a copy of the book Joe and I wrote together, managing content marketing. I will give you a free new book of my book with Carla Johnson uh, experiences. So a set, if you will, two books. If somebody can tweet or email me the Easter egg. And I'm not going to give you any other clues other than we may be in the part of the show that the Easter egg is always found. And so other than that, if you can tweet me and or send me in some way what the Easter egg is for the last 20 episodes. It's been in... in and I don't know what it show. is. I, don't d- know what I have it is no either. idea. And so uh, that is it. So tweet me up. Let me know. And I'll send you uh, a couple of books there. So for this episode, are they tweeting to you at Robert underscore Rose? So either way, either way, with the hashtag. Or hashtag this old marketing. Or with uh, me or, or whatever you want to do. Just get it to me. I'm not that hard to find. So <laughs> with that, I'll say this is Robert Rose signing off with Joe Polizzi. And, you know, tweet us up. Give us this hashtag. Give us the email. We love those story ideas, folks. So send them along. We It is so appreciative. Um, that we get those story ideas for uh, all of the show that we do. And if you like this episode, number 85, we hope you will consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links are available on the show notes, available at thisoldmarketing.com, in the show notes itself, and, of course, on our show post on Saturdays in its full extravagant glory. And do tune in next week where we're going to hear Joe say, well, you were right about this being a bad idea. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.